throughout the whole theme of the Bible, we see grace. We can't work and earn God's favor. We can't work to earn our salvation. And yet as soon as we engage in Baal worship, in idolatry, like the prophets, we start to work if we could just get an answer from this thing that we're worshiping. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to the conclusion of Will You Follow the One True God? A study in the book of 1 Kings from Pastor Paul Twiss. There's a little game that can be played with your kids. Just lay on the ground and have them stand up next to you, looking down at you. Next, have them stand on a chair, looking down at you. It's funny what a change in perspective can do. It's like that with eternity. What we think is important suddenly doesn't look that urgent when you think of eternity. In the second part of Will You Follow the One True God? Pastor Paul teaches that each of us has something that we idolize, which keeps us from truly following God with all our heart. What is that with you? Here's part two of Pastor Paul's Will You Follow the One True God? Here's the rub. Here's the stone in your shoe and here's the splinter in your finger. Here's the ticking that will not go away. Everyone here today is a Baal worshipper. Every single person in this room is a Baal worshipper. Or let me put it another way, there is not a single person here who worships God perfectly. See, we're all prone to give ourselves to the worship of other things things which aren't God. We're all prone to give our affections and our devotion and our allegiance to other things. We're all bell worshippers. Now, I get, I understand that it is not as blatant as this account here today. You know, it's not like we're up on Mount Carmel worshipping a different God in public that we can all see. The bells of our lives are far more subtle. They are far more dangerous and they creep in unannounced, like oil seeping through the cracks of our heart, going largely unchecked, so that very easily we end up in some kind of silent worship of that which is not God. It's not like we're driving down Roscoe and we're struggling to decide, do we pull into the Buddhist temple or do we pull into grace? It's not as blatant as that. It's far more subtle. And if, you, if you're sitting there thinking, no, 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 not me, I'm not a Baal worshipper. Look just at the symptoms of Baal worship. Can you see how the prophets worked themselves up into a frenzy? How they worked themselves into a stupor just so Baal could answer them? I mean, they were, they were trying to work as hard as they could to get a response from their God. This is Christianity on its head. We understand that we're saved by grace, and it's all by grace in the Christian life. Throughout the whole theme of the Bible, we see grace. We can't work and earn God's favor. We can't work to earn our salvation. And yet, as soon as we engage in Baal worship, in idolatry, like the prophets, we start to work if we could just get an answer from this thing that we're worshiping. And you can take your pick. I mean, they're they're all around. You take the Baal of money. 
We enjoy that bank balance, and when it goes up, we enjoy it a little more. And then before long, we're really enjoying it, such that we're saying, if I could just work a little bit harder, if I could, if I could just cut my giving off here, no one would know. If I can just be a little less generous here, then the God of money would answer me and I'd be satisfied. You would never be satisfied with your bank balance. Or the God of sex. I mean, thousands of images everywhere, every day, coming in through our eyes, affecting who we are, changing the way we think. They are defining for us what we think is beautiful. And then they start to distort our behavior. So before long, we're saying, if I could just get rid of this extra pound, if I could just get rid of these wrinkles, then I'll look like them. You'll, you'll never look like them because those images aren't real. That will never satisfy. The God of comfort. Oh, what a scourge on the church today is the God of comfort. We surround ourselves with 56 different insurance policies. So that as soon as we know a trial, we might steady the boat. We might never take a risk for the glory of God. If we could just live a comfortable life with a comfortable job and a big comfortable house and car, then we'll be satisfied. Those things will not answer you in the day of trouble. Those things, like Baal, will be strangely silent in the day of trouble. The list goes on. The bail of success and the bail of being accepted and liked, the bail of family, the bail of romance, the bail of work, the bail of stuff and things. We have so much clutter. The bail of entertainment. We move, you know, we, we live our lives in front of screens today and we move from one screen to the next screen to the next screen if we could just be entertained and then I'll be satisfied, truly satisfied if I could just be entertained. Moving from one show to the next, one event to the next event, refusing to engage our God-given intellect, refusing to engage with God himself, refusing to acknowledge that it is only he that can satisfy both the mind and the emotions. The list goes on. We are all Baal worshippers. And every single one of them is empty, false. It will not satisfy. It will not deliver. It will control you. It will ruin you. They offer no comfort. It will cause you to be a double-minded person tossed about by every teaching and doctrine. And it will cause you to dishonor God. You know, I saw this played out very clearly before me when I was a young believer. I was about a year old in the, in the faith. And I, served, I was serving at the time on an aircraft carrier. So before I was on submarines, I was on an aircraft carrier. And we were out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And I remember uh, the chaplain one week was flown off on compassionate grounds. So we used to have church every Sunday. And it was known that I was a Christian. And so they asked if I would take the church service. Now, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was a year old in the faith. But I said, yeah, sure. Now, the captain of this ship was a man. That, there is a lot of idolatry in the military. There's a lot of worship of, of, of medals on your chest and of stripes on your shoulder. And here was a man who was doing very well for himself in that respect. In fact, when we were out there on that trip, he got a, a signal saying that upon our return, he would be promoted to, to an admiral. So he was doing very well for himself. And, and I remember this church service. I hardly knew what I was saying. I couldn't preach. I knew enough to open up my Bible and say, you're all sinners you worship other things, you need a savior. And so I remember on that day just trying as best I could to make eye contact with the people there. And this very successful captain, this soon-to-be admiral, was standing front and center. And I remember, as I was trying my best to preach the gospel, making eye contact with this man. And you know, in that moment, he couldn't hold my gaze. His eyes dropped to the floor. 
Now, now, what was happening right there? Was he intimidated by the authority of the man before him? Not at all. I mean, I was just starting out. I really was the lowest of the low. Was he convicted by the incredible rhetoric that was coming out? I didn't know how to preach. The truth of the gospel, that we all worship that which is not God, was piercing his heart, and he knew it. So the call is to acknowledge that we are all, to some degree, Baal worshippers. The call is to acknowledge the Baals in your life, to identify what it is that you are prone to give your affections to, to repent, and to walk after the one true God. And we, and, you know, we can't make excuses. So often you hear those phrases, oh, oh this is my besetting sin. You know, this is just an area where I struggle. If you're really struggling with this idol, then show me what you're doing to get rid of it in your life. If you're really struggling and there is a striving, tell me what your action plan is. Have you told anyone? Have you told anyone? Have you sought to be held accountable for your actions and your behavior and your thoughts and what you do in private? You know, very shortly, this life will be done. In a very short time, this life will be over. We are all stood on the edge of eternity. And in a very short space of time, you will be stood before the risen Lord Jesus. And I guarantee you that, that in that day, when you are stood before him, when the bales and the idols of this life are strangely absent, and when the matters of eternity are strangely clear, I guarantee that when you look him in the eye, you will not want your name to be anywhere near the charge of idolatry. Whoever you are today and whatever is your relationship with God today, this hour, in that hour and that day, when you see him, the risen Lord Christ, for who he really is, you will be desperate to have lived a life of faithfulness to the one true God. Hear the great silence on Mount Carmel. Turn away from Baal worship. We have the great decision. Will you follow after the one true God? The great silence. All Baal worship is futility. And finally, the great God, verses 30 to 40. Look down at your Bibles with me. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. So picture the scene. We're on the top of Mount Carmel, Baal's home turf, 450 prophets. Ahab, he's having a jolly bad day. He wishes he'd never gotten out of bed that day. The prophets of Baal, they're, they're covered in blood. It's probably dry and crusty now. They should just go and take a shower. They're embarrassed. The people of Israel are watching on, and I, I dare say they're, they're slightly confused, or at least it's starting to dawn on them that they should never have engaged in Baal worship in the first place. And then Elijah steps forward, God's appointed man for the hour. He steps up, he rebuilds the mess of an altar. It's time to call on God and for God to let him show himself as to who he really is. But there's one last twist in the tale, and it really shouldn't surprise us because all the way along the suspense has been building. I mean, Elijah's been setting this up for a unanimous victory. Elijah wants to drive the point home and show everyone in no uncertain terms that God is the one true God. So he says, put some water on the altar. And the prophets of Baal, maybe they're thinking, maybe we're off the hook. Did he really just say that? Put some water on the altar. So they do it. He says, do it a second time. They're thinking, did he really say that? So they do it again, and then he says do it a third time. So now we've got a soaking wet altar, the wood, the ox, the ground around it is just a mud bath. And in contrast to the, the frenzy and the raving of the prophets of Baal, Elijah steps up, it says, at the time of the evening offering. This is orderly worship. He comes at God's appointed time when God said a sacrifice would be offered. And he offers a very simple prayer. Forget the screaming and forget the, the throwing of swords upon the body. He just offers a simple prayer. He says, O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. And fire rains down from heaven, consuming everything on the ground. Fire from, from the holy, almighty, omnipotent, all-seeing, all-knowing God, comes down from heaven and it consumes the ox and it consumes the water, it consumes the stone, it consumes the ground underneath it, it licks up the water in the trench and with that fire he says to everybody, I am the one true God. He says, Baal gives you silence and I give you fire. He says, Baal with all his prophets on Mount Carmel and all their frenzy and raving, they get silent, you get fire because I'm the one true God. He shows everyone that he is God and he alone is to be obeyed. And then Elijah gathers them up and he says, kill the prophets. And just that last little verse there, we maybe squirm at that and wish it wasn't in the account. I mean, another Old Testament killing, really? You know, couldn't he have shown him just a bit of grace? But if that's what you're thinking, then you do not understand the severity of this sin. Friends, we need to linger long and meditate upon the Old Testament killings. They tell us something about the nature of the God we serve. It is a serious thing to engage in idolatry. It is a serious thing to worship that which is not God. 
it is a very serious thing to lead somebody else astray. I mean, to be honest, there should have been more killing that day. The people of Israel should have been killed with the prophets for even engaging in the first place in Baal worship. See the grace as he accepts Elijah's offering. And with that acceptance, he says, I want your worship. I want your worship. I want your full obedience. There can be no limping and no hesitating between two opinions. I will not share my glory with another. You cannot have one foot in the world and one in my holy sanctuary. C.T. Studd was a man who understood this. He's a hero of mine. I love C.T. Studd. He was born into a very wealthy family. He had a privileged upbringing. He went to, to Eton and then Cambridge. He was gifted at the sport of cricket. I, I know you don't know what cricket is, but it's a good sport. C.T. Studd, was a, he was like the Babe Ruth of cricket. When he played for England, they won. He was a household name. Here was a man who had bales all around him, Fame, wealth, education, everything, crying out for his worship. And the Lord got a hold of him, and he put it all behind him. He sold everything he had. He gave up cricket, and he went to serve on the mission field in Africa. And he spent his life teaching a village of people the Bible. He feared what money would do to him. If only we would fear what money might do to us rather than chase after it. We could take our example from C.T. Studd and learn a lot from this man. Now, for some people here today, this is a salvation issue. We must be honest as we read this text. There are some here today, it may be your first time, it may be your hundredth time, but your limping and your hesitating between God and other stuff is a tragic facade of the fact that you've never truly submitted to the one true God. You know, when I, I first heard the gospel when I was 21, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I remember just, just hearing this, thinking, this is amazing. I've never heard anything like this. It was when I was at university, so I, I sat down with a friend who took me through the Gospel of Mark. And then the following semester, another Christian I sat down and read Isaiah with. I started attending church at this time. I started reading a lot of Christian books, going to different talks, just to find out if this was true, what I was being told. And, you know, after about six months of investigating... I realized there was no way that I could refute the claims of Christianity, that the evidence was overwhelming. And so you say, praise God, you became a Christian. I wish that was the case. I spent the next six months running away, trying to hide from the truth that had been made known to me, offering up these silly objections that I, weren't, I wasn't really struggling with. You see, at that point, it was, it was now an obedience issue. It was no longer a matter of belief, but a matter of obedience. And I want to just suggest that there are maybe some here today for whom it is a matter of obedience. And let me ask if you would just put away your precious things. Put down those things which are futile and will not answer you. And follow after the one true God. For everybody else, Christians, children of the one true God, the call is the same. The same decision faces us every single day. We're all prone to worship other things. And the call of 1 Kings 18 is that you would put away your secret sins. Every sin points to something worshipped. Every sin points to something worshipped. And the call is that you would put aside those things and follow after the one true God with a single-minded obedience. See, you've seen this account today. 
and you'll be held accountable for your response. That is, that is why I prayed at the very beginning what an awesome responsibility it is to hear the word of God. We all today have seen what happened on Mount Carmel. We have seen how God revealed himself with fire in no uncertain way. And we will all be held accountable for our response to this text. But Christian, you have seen more than this account. I know, Christian, that you've been through the Psalms and the prophets. And you've spent time with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Christian, you've seen how God revealed himself not only on Mount Carmel with fire, but he revealed himself in a specific way, in a very particular way, in the form of a man, the God-man. And you, Christian, have seen how the God-man walked on earth, how he taught as one with authority, as only the one true God can. You've seen how he performed miracles, as only the one true God can, how he healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind how he fed the thousands, how he raised the dead, he calmed the storm, he walked on water. And Christian, you've seen how the God-man opened up his arms on the cross so that the Father could drive home the nails. Why did Christ die? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that the one true God could purchase for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, to follow after him completely. When God killed his son, he did it so that he would have your full obedience. When God killed his son, he did it so that you, Christian, would not hesitate between two opinions. He killed his son so that you would no longer give yourself to vain idols. You couldn't do this before. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were neither willing nor able. You did not want to follow after the one true God, nor were you able to follow after the one true God. And he crushed his son for you, giving you new life, new life as never before, so that now you can obey him completely. When he pierced his son on the cross, he crushed the chains of your Baal worship. He cut loose the cords of your idolatry so that now you are free to obey him completely. Oh, that you would know the unwavering joy of single-minded obedience to God, that you would not just turn to the comfort passages in your Bible, but that you, Christian, would meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, and in it would be all of your delight He died so that you would obey him fully. This is why you have been saved. This is what you're called to, to walk with obedience and allegiance to the risen Lord, for he is the one true God. We have the great decision, the great silence, and the great God. Pray with me. Father, I come in the name of Christ and I ask that you would work in all of our hearts so that we would follow after you, the one true God, with unwavering allegiance, putting aside all bales and idols, obeying you completely, fully and joyfully, to the praise of your name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Are you feeling that urge to follow God, the one true God with all your heart? If not, what's holding you back? Let me ask you, is it worth eternity? 
Pastor Paul has passionately reminded us, as did Elijah with the Israelite people, that we must not worship Baals or modern-day idols to rob us of God's kingdom. If you'd like to learn more on how to follow Jesus Christ to our Heavenly Father, the one true God, visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. It's on the homepage you want to select Broadcasts for an audio library with messages of hope and new life through Jesus, all free for the listening. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Listen tomorrow as we begin a new series with part one of Disillusioned, Distracted, and Discontent with Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.